If you're a pastor or church leader, I'm sure at times it can feel overwhelming to see the amount of people in your congregation who are walking through pain and crisis right now. I wish it weren't true, but the common denominator of life is pain. And as a pastor myself, I know firsthand that another unfortunate common denominator is that pain tends to derail people in your congregation from moving with you on mission and purpose. The enemy's tactics have always been to neutralize our God-given purpose within the local church, and he frequently uses tragedy and trauma to do it. If you're like most pastors, you probably feel like you don't have the resources, staffing, bandwidth, or curriculum to address all the pain points in your church, which is why we want to bring the Pain to Purpose course to your local congregation. We developed this course as a pathway to come alongside you, help people heal inside the context of their own spiritual community, and release them back on mission within your local church. When my late wife Amanda was murdered in 2015, I wish someone had laid out a pathway that was this clear to help me and the members of our congregation move from pain to purpose. After tens of thousands of dollars spent on counseling for me and my staff, hundreds of hours of interviewing others who have walked through pain on this podcast, and dozens of hours of reading and researching everything I could get my hands on, we've finally created that pathway. And we'd love to come alongside you to bring it to your congregation in a way that's extremely affordable. If you're interested in finding out more about the Pain to Purpose course, head over to mypaintopurposeplan.com slash churches. I truly believe and have witnessed it firsthand that what the enemy means for evil, God wants to use to catalyze a renewed and even stronger sense of purpose within the members of your congregation. So again, if you'd like us to partner with you to make that happen, head over to mypaintopurposeplan.com slash churches. That's mypaintopurposeplan.com slash churches. Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I'm Davey, your host, and joining me, Aubrey, our co-host. Aubrey, it's great to see you. Great to have you. Great to be back. Great to be able to hear the insight that you are bringing to the table. Let's hope there's some insight that I'm bringing to the table. There always is, and we know there is. We know there is. We know that we're going to uncover a lot of those things. Today, we have a conversation that we're releasing. We're actually going to be releasing this in two parts. This is the first part of the conversation with Steve and Aaron Ulmer. And this part is basically Aaron's story. And, and Aubrey, I, I know you've mm. already listened to this conversation, so you understand yeah. the weight of it. But for the listener, for you guys to know, there are some conversations that we do over Zoom, and there are some conversations we do in person. And Steve and Aaron drove here to my house where we record these, and they sat with me, and we, we talked through this entire thing. And I'm telling you, not only was it heavy, not only mm-hmm. was it um, heart-wrenching, but there was a there was a pervasive sense of the Holy Spirit in the room. Yeah, you can even as a listener, you can sense the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. was there. Yeah, and the, and 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 that's the thing that it had like there there's conversations that are like that that um you know all of our conversations are definitely filled with um you know the Holy Spirit moving in those ways and we sure. we trust as those who are bringing the the podcast, the conversations to you and to your headphones, we trust that God's going to move in a powerful way, that he's not confined by technology or by airwaves or anything like that, of course. Right. But there are just certain conversations where you go, whoa. Yeah. Like that was sacred ground right there. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. 
this is a conversation that um, is heavy thematically and has some, I don't know if graphic content is the right phrase, but it's, it's yeah. got some serious stuff. So yeah. um, I would, you know, listener, it's listen with an open heart, listen, mm-hmm. asking God what he wants to say to you in it. And um, maybe have some Kleenex nearby. Yeah. yeah. Cause it's a, yeah, it's a real one. It's yeah. certainly a, a real story. The, th- the thing that gives me hope, and it gave me hope as we sat there, and especially listened to Aaron's part of this, is that even though there was, it, it was a horrific experience, the traumatic event that she's going to share here is a horrific experience. There was this peace and this calm that I know she described about the situation and leading up to that situation. There was a peace and a calm that I saw on her face mm, as she wow. shared it. And it can only come from the Lord and it can only come from, you know, as a result of her walking through a healing process and God showing yeah. up and showing her, hey, I'm, I'm in this. Yeah. But I think what really stuck out to me was this idea, and we see this uh, common thread in a lot of people's stories, that God shows up and prepares you right. for something that you potentially are about to walk into. Yeah. And sometimes you don't necessarily realize until looking back, I think that the Lord was going before you, Mm -hmm. but then you go, oh, the Lord was preparing me for this or preparing my loved ones for this even. Right. I was um, thinking about my, my part of my story is that my cousin Cameron, who was like a brother to me growing up, was killed really Mm -hmm. tragically while snowshoe hiking in um, Oregon. And there was a a few days where we knew that he was missing, but we didn't know yet that he was dead. Mm. And in in those in-between days, I had a dream that um, Cameron came to me. And you know how you have dreams that are vivid dreams, but then you right. have dreams that are like, this is a God dream. This is a Holy Spirit dream. There's something here. Yeah. Cameron came to me and he said, I need you to take care of my mom. And it wasn't scary. It wasn't um, frightening. I woke up with a sense of peace and I mm. woke up knowing, okay, we're going to get some news. And I think it was either that day or the next day that the park ranger called and said that Cameron, there was evidence that he had felt, uh, fallen into the water and drowned. Wow. And that, again, for listeners who haven't experienced that, that can sound strange, but it it has been such a comfort to me. It's been such a comfort to Cameron's mom. It's been such a comfort to our family members. It made me think of um, Psalm 139, Yeah, Mm -hmm. where David talks about the Lord hemming us in. And um, I'll just read it here if that's okay. Um, Psalm 139, I'll start with verse five. David says, you hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Mm. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Yeah. And I think that's it. That's, you know, those moments like what Aaron and Steve are going to share about, that's the depths. Right, right. But God's presence is there going before, going behind, hemming us in. Yeah. That's, it's so true. It is. It's too wonderful, right? Yeah. It's too lofty. Yeah. It, it It's like a strange, um, it is like what you said, there's a peace that occurs in those spaces. Cause it, cause if I'm, you know, kind of listening to this and I have not experienced something like that, right? you know, I could in a skeptic, a skeptical mind, I could go, well, if I experience something or, or some kind of a weird premonition or some kind of a warning or something like that, or that it feels yeah. like then it would cause a lot of fear it would cause a lot of anxiety in my heart and i would i would go well what's coming up what's happening what's going on right and it and i the way 
the way that you described it earlier is exactly true. I feel like that there are these things that God prepares the soil of your heart for, and then they don't make sense until after that thing happened, mm-hmm. typically. And and then it's this like recall back to you, like immediately you remember, oh, God, this thing, and then this thing, and then this thing mm-hmm. happened, and God's been preparing me for this. And so, and he's with me. It's just this evidence of his presence. Yeah. And so it yeah. creates this calm and this peace, this like strange warming yeah. in the midst of a moment that doesn't seem like it should be warm and peaceful. Yeah. And that's something only God can do, right? Yeah. There's, you might know this exact number, Davy, but there's over 200 calls in scripture to remember. Mm. And I certainly think that's part of the grieving process is that intentional act of remembering, looking back on your life, where has God showed up? Where has he been supernatural? Where has his goodness been in spite of this darkness? Oh yeah. Um, Because that gives us the strength we need to keep going in our grief. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. You know, I mean, you hear a lot of people talk about, and there's so much commentary on that idea of remember, especially when you see it, like in Deuteronomy. I mean, the whole book, it seems like, is this call to remember. remembering. Remember, remember, remember. I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you, you know, remember that I am your God and I will be with you. I have always been with you. Um, And and so it is just this, uh, you know, some of the things that kind of we said a lot in the aftermath of Amanda's death was that the the best predictor of God's future faithfulness is his past provision. Mm. And so because he has been faithful in the past, we can, even in this moment of uncertainty, we can be sure and know that he will be faithful in this and in the future. That's so good. And that's what the remembrance of God's faithfulness does in in those moments. And God's so good that he will make it very personal to you if you open up your heart. that's right. Yeah. If you open up your heart to it, he will make it very personal to you. And so I would encourage anybody to just, you know, to... To, to start opening your heart up and saying, God, would you, would you make like an experience with you that personal to me? Mm-hmm. You know, even as you're listening to this, God, I want to know you that personally um, in the way that, you know, Steve and Aaron walked through this circumstance and the way Aubrey has and the way I have, because yeah. he will, he's that personal. It's so good. Yeah, that's right. That's the kind of God he is. That's how good he is in the middle of these things that are so tragic. And I do think that's why it's important that we really lean in and listen to this story from Stephen Aaron, because it's such a powerful um, narrative of the way that God can work in these really dark seasons. Steve, Aaron, great to have you guys on the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Thanks for driving down all the way from... Wisconsin. Wisconsin. So, you know, I need to tell you this. I didn't tell you this when you guys came here, but our daughter, you met Natalia. She continually asks me when we're going to go to Wisconsin. Really? Because uh, at one point, right after Christy and I got married, I went and spoke at a church in Wisconsin. um, Cedar Lake, Cedar... Uh, Rice Lake, Wisconsin. Oh, yeah. Rice Lake, Wisconsin, right? Okay. And and she always asked me in this way. She says, Dad, when are we going to go back to Wisconsin? <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of how we say it. Wisconsin. Wisconsin. I know. That's why we told her that's how uh, Wisconsinians <laughs> say it. <laughs> I don't know how you'd say that. But so good to have you guys. Thanks for joining us, and thanks for driving all the way down. You're making a weekend of it here Absolutely. in Indianapolis. Um, so here's what I want to know. I would love to know just a little bit about 
your life now. You guys have a powerful story, and we definitely want to dive into that. But just give us a little context for uh, what your life looks like right now. Well, we're a blended family. With uh, we have six kids now between us. We got married <laughs> in uh, June of 2018, so um, life's a little bit chaotic. We have a six-year-old, two ten-year-olds, two twelve-year-olds, and a fourteen-year-old. And uh, it's one day at a time at our house, <laughs> just trying to figure stuff out, figure out what it looks like to um, live together in a blended family like that. And it's it's an adventure. Yeah, but we, yeah. we love it. <laughs> I bet. Holy cow! So, what do you guys? Um, you you had four, four yep. and you had two, Aaron. Right? Yeah. So you guys brought those in. Yes. Now uh, that's. I mean, there's of course there's probably layers to an amazing mm-hmm. story here that we're going to get to in just a second. Um, tell us a little bit about what you guys, what do you guys do for a living? What's, what does kind of life look like for you in that vein? Well, I'm pretty much a full-time mom. Okay. <laughs> Both six kids. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine that. The life, I mean, my plate <laughs> is very full. Somebody's, yeah, I would think <laughs> yeah. that both of you guys are full-time. In yes. And Steve, yeah. He's yeah. I'm a production cool. manager at a, oh, cool. a plant in Appleton, Wisconsin, and mm-hmm. um, it's busy definitely exciting and it's i I call it managing chaos at work and then i come home and manage (laughs) manage chaos at home so (laughs) but it's it's fun i wouldn't trade it and i mean faith is a big uh central to our life yeah always you know it's takes number one precedence for us and i'm just trying to live that out in a real way with all our relationships and I don't know. Yeah. It, it's it's something you gotta you gotta try to not just talk about it, but live it out and um, learn more about it and study. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, from what it sounds like, you know, you guys are in a space and in a story where faith just can't be something that you talk about. Yeah. You yeah. know, you guys have had to live it out. You've had to, you've had to live it out in some really dark seasons. You know. So that being said, um, I would love for you guys to share with me just some of those some of those dark seasons that you yeah. guys went through and just kind of take us back and tell us. A little bit about your story. I think Aaron, you guys said it made sense for you to to mm-hmm. tell us your part of the story first. So why don't you launch into that for us? Yeah. Um, so I grew up in a small town of in Wisconsin, and you know I grew up with a very normal family. I have great parents. Um, my two brothers. I'm in between two two brothers, and um, I got saved um, in high school. I grew up in the Catholic Church, and I got saved between my sophomore and junior year of high school. So um, within that time, um, I met my first husband, John. Um, I was a, he was a year ahead of me in high school, and um, we were 16, 17 years old, and then uh, he grew so he graduated high school, and a good friend of ours introduced us to um, this Bible college out in California. So we both ended up, he went out there first the year before I did, and then I went out there the following year with him. We got engaged right after 9-11 happened, married a year later. Um, had our first daughter named Olivia, and then um, a couple years later had our second child, Ezra, and then couple of years later, I had our daughter, Selah, and then speed up to 2015. Um, it was a, I was 32 and John was 33 at the time. And our eldest daughter, Olivia was 11. Um, our middle child was seven. And my youngest daughter, uh, Selah was five. And, um, 
know everything. Uh, so great. We you know we had a really good, solid marriage. My husband uh, John really loved the Lord, and you know we were a, just you know what you consider a normal family. Um, and um, uh, May third of two thousand fifteen um, was the day that you know our life changed dramatically. Um, within minutes. Um, it was a Sunday. It was actually a really, really nice day. It was um, beautiful May 3rd. Everybody's outside and enjoying the weather. And we went to church that day, um, went to a family event. I had to go to work. I worked at the Y at the time. And then after I got back home from work, um, kind of last minute decided to uh, take a family walk. And um, I said, you know, let's, there's this bridge in a small town called Menasha. And it's a old uh, tra- uh, train that goes over the over the lake, right? Yeah, yeah. Little Lake Beatlemore. Yeah, it's called the Trestle Trail um, Bridge. And that's mm. what people know it as. And so we decided to go there, and we got there, and we actually saw some people we knew, and we said hi, and um, took the kids to the bathroom. There was a nice park, and then there's this bridge that. I don't know, how long would you say? 1,600 feet. 1,600 feet. Yeah, it's really long. Yeah, it's pretty long. Um, So we walked to one side of the bridge, and um, it was kind of buggy out. There's a lot of lake flies around there, so that's actually what caused us to turn around, and we knew the kids wanted to play back at the park, so we got to that side, and then we started making our way back, and there's this... um, like a little red pavilion that's in the middle with some benches and... People fish off of there all the time. It's um, just a, it's a really a, a neat, neat park. Um, well, as we were walking, um, we walked into what um, changed our life forever. And there was a man that was laying on his side on a bench. And then there was another man that was standing next to him. And I knew there was something not right but there was, you know, I say there was no conversation between my husband and I. I kept walking with the kids, and my son was up ahead with our little dog, thankfully. And then my two daughters were still with us, and my youngest um, daughter stayed with me as I kept walking. And my husband, and if you knew him, he would, you know, would see what was happening, what was going on, and I just kind of felt uneasy, so I kept going. But when he stopped, I stopped, and the other man that was. Uh, standing next to this man laying on the bench, um, came up to my husband and says, I don't know what happened. He just fell over and he pulled out a pistol and shot my husband. Then he shot me and then he shot my daughter. And then I got back up again. We all fell to our knees. We got back up again. And um, my oldest daughter, who was 11, was kind of like stopped between us. And she... um, was one that also got shot. So I just knew there was, you know, I had a moment in there where um, I knew I needed to get out of here and get my, um, get help. And at the time, I can tell you, I did not know what was truly going on in my head. You know, I knew and I didn't know, but I knew like I had to get out of there. And I really feel like that was God pressing upon me to grab my daughter's, youngest daughter's hand. And we started running and caught up to my son, and he was far up enough ahead that I don't think he really knew what was happening. But um, 
by the time I got up to her, I got shot two more times. And um, I just felt like this gush of blood going down my legs. And actually, I thought I was wetting myself because I thought it was just shock. I still didn't know I was shot two more times. I did not feel it go through me. Um, but my daughter said, Mom, you're bleeding. And that's when I knew. And so I told my son to go call 911, go find someone. And he did. He ran up ahead. And I got to the end of the bridge and um, finally fell down to the ground. And um, before I knew it, I called out to a man to call for help. He did. Told him not to go out there. I knew, you know, they tried explaining to him the best they could. But, um, and... That day, I lost my husband and daughter. But. Aaron, um, you know, I told you guys this before, but the listener doesn't know I, I said this. I intentionally don't uh, look into, oftentimes, the details of many of our, you know, folks that we have on the podcast, their story, because um, I want it to kind of hit me for the first time, mm-hmm. to have a, uh, just what what to to kind of discern what the Holy Spirit wants me to ask. In these moments, yeah, and um, I have to say, this one like hits me really hard. Yeah, I bet. I can't yeah. imagine. I was not expecting what you just shared with me. Mm. Um, can you kind of talk to me a little bit about what you remember happening next? Yeah, you know, I know you said you called for help right there. Yeah. What? Um, well, what were kind of the details surrounding? Sure. You know, I, you lost you lost yeah. your husband. You lost your daughter. Mm-hmm. Did you and know that, that immediately? Time, Did you know what was going on there in know, the next few moments, next few days? I had a moment where I did look back, and I could see. I mean, it, it's it's pretty far. You know, I've I've been back there, and I'm actually very surprised because I didn't remember how long of a run it was, and it was a very long run to get to safety. And but I could I have you know a very um, kind of blurry memory of looking back after I was actually laying on the ground and seeing them laying on the ground. But yet, at the same time, you hold on to any hope, you know, any yeah. hope. And nothing seems real, you know, what that's right, like, right? right? Yeah. Nothing seemed like, and I remember thinking to myself, like, everything's changing. Is this really happening? Mm. Did this just happen? Am I... Am I going to die? Is Where are my kids? You know, all the stuff is going through your head. Yeah. And I can hear sirens behind me. And it felt like forever. I mean, I was in the worst pain <laughs> I've ever felt in my life. I had one bullet go through my leg, one through my stomach, and one in my hand. And the one through my stomach, I mean, I, at that point, I mean, I was asking the police officer next to me, I'm like, can you knock me out? Can you give me something, you know? And, and they couldn't do that. So um, on top of all this awful pain, you know, and I've given birth naturally, that hurts, you know, but this was off. I mean, this was the worst. And yet I'm still thinking, where are my kids? Where are my Mm -hmm. other two kids? I didn't, I knew my daughter was behind me. I could hear somebody asking her questions, trying to keep her calm. There was a woman behind me. So I still don't know who it was to this day, but she wrapped my hand um, in a shirt and the police officer who I know well now, um, she was taking care of my other wounds and I kept asking her, am I going to die? And she kept saying, no, you know, you're, you're going to be fine. You're going to be okay. And, um, but it felt like a lifetime between that and being put out in the, um, 
ER. So, mm. but you know, it's, it's like you, you know, it's still, I think it's one of those, those moments between where your life is just surreal, you yeah. know, and, um, it's a, it's a great, it's a great town. I mean, obviously mm. things happen, but at this time, um, this was almost unheard of. It was random, mm-hmm. random, right. <laughs> you know, right. but. Yeah. I remember hearing about it cause I'm yeah. from Manasha yeah. mm-hmm. and I remember hearing about it and the, a lot of the news stories were talking about kind of the, the end of innocence for that area, yeah. just a small town and, yeah. you know, it, it just shocked everyone so yeah. much that something like that could happen. Yeah. I think a lot of people made them feel like there's mm-hmm. nowhere you can go where you're mm-hmm. safe, you know, yeah. this so random. And there was, and the man, I forgot to mention the man that was laying on the bench, he shot him first. Mm. Um, right, like moments before we got there, and so, so there, and then he ended up killing himself at the end. Oh. So it's, yeah. When was it that you um, found out that you had lost your husband and your daughter? Did you know that in that moment, or was it later after you woke up? When when did that set in? I think, I think I, you know, like knew from what I saw, but. I don't know how long. So after I was brought to um, the hospital and I remember the moment they finally put me out and I remember just thinking like the relief and I guess I was screaming and whatnot when I just found this out and I'm like, I don't remember any of that. So at some point I must have passed out, but I remember most of it on the way there. And so then after they did the surgery to, you know, stop bleeding, uh, went through my colon and my intestines, so I was becoming septic. And um, they said it was just a matter of minutes before, like, they wouldn't be able to save me, it sounded like. But um, I remember when they woke me up, and I remembered everything the moment I woke I I knew what happened, you know, and my dad said... You know, they prepared them for, like, if I didn't remember or, like, how were they going to answer me when I asked, you know. And, and I was full of, you know, I had oxygen on and, I don't know, a bunch of stuff. I couldn't talk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I started, like, motioning my hand, like, oh, I needed a pen or something to write. And I was pretty, you know, drugged up from all the pain meds. Mm-hmm. But so I had a hard time writing down the questions, but they finally made it out. And I, and I think the first thing I asked was John and Olivia. And I asked knowingly that they were gone. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, there's that hope. Morning, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You just don't, you know. And so my dad had to be the one to tell me, but. Wow. Um, you know, it's, it, it took that first week I was in the ICU, um, so I was pretty much in and out of consciousness for, I remember very little in yeah. there. I remember being questioned by the police. I remember thinking like, do they have to do this now? <laughs> like yeah. I'm not in any good condition, but they did. Um, I remember I had a family coming in and out of the hospital room. And I remember feeling like, like this is just unbelievable. Like mm. I am in this hospital. Yeah. I'm, you know just got shot three times. I lost yeah. my spouse and my daughter. Like it just, none of it, it just seemed real. It doesn't seem real, no. yeah. And then eventually they moved me up to 
the sixth floor, which um, I remember having this conversation with the doctor, like being really fearful of being moved because I knew I was very secure. And, and I knew it was all over the news and everybody knew about it. Everybody knew me at this point and that was really hard. I didn't like that. I didn't like yeah. being exposed in that right. way. Um, it was out of my control, of course. Um, and so I was, I was fearful of being moved I knew that the people, there's only certain people that could get in that room. And, and I wasn't like afraid for my life. It wasn't like that. I just, you know, I didn't have any, I was like, I had no control, you know, yeah, right? who can come in or didn't, at least I didn't think I did. So then they moved me to the sixth floor and they actually had a security guard outside my door 24 mm. seven, which I think helped me a lot. I felt really bad for them because I had to sit there the whole day, but, um, but yeah, there's a there's a level of when you're, you know, when you feel that exposed, when yes. everything's been plastered yeah. all over the news, and all of a sudden, everybody knows everybody your knows face you, and your everybody, name. There's yeah. a level of paranoia that there you is. experience. Yeah, there is where you're yeah. you don't feel safe at all. No, and and it's not sometimes it's not very rational, but you just don't feel safe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was everybody. Yeah, knows your face, and yeah. um, so I think the first time it really sunk in was, and I feel bad that my dad had to be the one to do this, but he brought in a picture of a casket and I think he was trying to test out like where I was at for funeral planning. Yeah. And um this casket was donated for my daughter. Mm. And I think that's when it hit me the most was, you know, you have to bury them now, you know, and I was still in the hospital. I was in there for twenty one days. And um Thinking, like, I can't even go to the bathroom myself. I can't even get out of bed, let alone plan a funeral. And yeah. so that's when, you know, the panic and the um, just reality began to sink in. Mm. Like, God, what are you asking of me? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> How can I do this? Yeah. Yeah, I can't, uh, you know, I can't imagine that just the road to recovery on that. Yeah. You know, there's a physical road to recovery. Yeah. But in the midst of it, there's this now emotional road to recovery. Yeah. And um, trying to wrestle with that. I think the way you just articulated that, like, God, what are you asking of yeah. me right now? Like, And there was a time that I was in, you know, alone in the hospital room where um, I just... You know, and I talk about this and I speak at things, sometimes, different events sometimes. And I bring this up a lot is, you know, thinking like asking God, like, God, I am spiritually broken, physically broken. Mm-hmm. I can't, I can't even be there for my kids. Mm-hmm. Like I can't get out of this hospital bed without calling for help. I am at there isn't, there's yeah. nothing left of me. Yeah. You know, my life is hanging, you know, on a thread. I can't, I am, you know, and I just didn't know what to do with all that. Mm. You know, I'm just, I was broken in every way. And, um, and you know, God just spoke to me and he says, do you still trust me? You mm. know, and, and I remember that very clearly because I, I, you know, I think I even said it out loud. I, I do, <laughs> you know, mm. I still do. You know, and at that moment, you know, I just, I had some really neat, you know, God gave me a lot of opportunities. I mean, even in my complete brokenness in the hospital with, 
um, they always said like my room smelled the best because I always had somebody brought essential oils in there and they <laughs> said so like all these nurses would mm. stop in my room and they just shut the door and they just said it's so peaceful in here and they mm. just love spending time and so I had moments with them where I could just share my faith and and even in that complete brokenness yeah. where I'm like I can't even you know can't do I couldn't eat I didn't I lost a lot of weight in the hospital I couldn't I could do nothing, you mm-hmm. know, and yet God still gave me those opportunities to share yeah. his goodness yeah. through it all. Well, I think what's amazing too is like you look at these things and you go, you know, like, hey, there are amazing opportunities to minister to people in the midst of like your deepest, darkest yes. brokenness. Yeah. Um, and while that while that's true, um, what's even more profound is that God gives you the strength yes. to do it in those yeah. moments because these nurses are coming and they're asking you like all these questions. They know there's something noticeably different, you yeah. know, it, it wasn't just the essential oils and the, 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 mm. the, the great smell that was coming from <laughs> There was an aroma of the Holy spirit. There was an aroma mm. of God being present with you. Yeah. Um, and there, and there was a peace about your room and they're mm-hmm. coming and going, what is different here? And I think sometimes I think through the lens of like, oh yeah, these are great opportunities. to These are great moments to share these things. But I think what we miss sometimes is this like, yes, it is. But these opportunities are, we're not able to even take these outside of the fact that the Holy Spirit undergirded you and the power of Jesus walked yeah. with you through that. And that's what I want like people to understand is mm-hmm. you're listening to this right now and you're going, you're probably having the same reaction I am where I'm like, how in the world did you come out of this? Like how in the world did you walk through this? Like I've heard a lot of stories, Aaron. I've heard a lot of stories. This one, yours is heavy. Yeah. I know <laughs> you know that, but like, yeah. like I'm like, I'm gutted right now for you. And I'm asking the question, how in the world did you, which we're going to talk about in a second, but but I just think what's so powerful is even to be reminded in these moments, the way you walked through this is the Holy Spirit was there. Psalm 23, 4, where he says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. And I just, to hear you testify that, to hear you say the, the Lord ministered to you and, and asked you, hey, do you still trust me in this and took you by the hand? Like that strengthens my faith. Praise um, the Lord. So, so cool. Hi friends, I'm excited to tell you who our August bonus episode guest is because our conversation with her in episode 107 of the podcast was so incredible. It's Andy Kolber. Andy is a licensed therapist who specializes in trauma and she came back to talk with us more in depth about trauma and how it relates to the concept of resilience. To say my mind was blown by this conversation is an understatement. You won't wanna miss this important conversation with Andy that really applies to everyone since we all have or will experience large or small traumas in our lifetime. So pause this episode right now and go to nothingiswasted.com slash partners to sign up and make a recurring monthly tax deductible donation of $20 a month or more in order to access this bonus episode. If you're hesitant about committing $20 a month, you can start a seven day free trial to preview the bonus content we have under our partner program. 
Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash partners. Here's a little preview of my conversation with Andy now. Trauma and resilience, I think folks don't always realize this, but they're so intricately connected because in Mm. some ways they're on a spectrum, meaning that as we work through pain, right? So trauma, obviously there are levels of trauma that are more disturbing than others. But Mm. as we work through pain in general, this is what it means to actually become resilient. Can you talk to me a little bit about, uh, you know, the be- the beginning places of, you know, once you got out of the hospital, once mm-hmm. you were, you know, maybe not fully recovered physically, but once you were enough to be able to start going about life, yeah. how did you begin to put the pieces back together emotionally? Mm-hmm. How did you walk through the, the grieving process of this? You know, in, in the hospital, I mean, I had a counselor. He wasn't, you know, a Christian and I knew that. I had, you know, tons of people, you know, how surround you and um so it's I think like I remember I knew like in a way, you know, you hear I mean, even when you just lose someone, like you think so far ahead of how you know, how am I gonna ever get through you know, you mm-hmm. how am I gonna get through this? Like right. the road feels very, very long. Very long, yeah. And I know for me, physically, like even just getting out of the hospital, like they were going to release me early from the hospital, not early, but at a different time. And they unhooked me from everything and ended up getting really sick. Nothing, my guts weren't working. Mm. And um, so they had actually had to hook me all back up again. I had a pick line, everything. And I just remember at first, like when they told me they could release me, like I was preparing myself for then, I almost felt more ready then. Mm. And then after they felt, they realized I'm not ready to be released, they hooked me all back up again, and I spent like another week and a half in the hospital. And um, the second time, or the when they officially released me, I was more afraid that time. And and I just I knew because. I would have to get up and they would walk me around the halls and I just knew how weak I was. Mm. And, and I just remember thinking like how physical, physically damaged I was. And thankfully, you know, I didn't go home and never went back home, but my parents um, took me to their house and there was a hospital bed and um, their house and they, they were there 24 seven. I don't know what I would have done without them. Um, they took care of the kids, made sure they got to school and pretty much I just laid in bed and went to the doctor's appointments all week long Mm -hmm. and had people visit me. But I don't, I don't think like when you're in it, like you actually know (laughs) how you're gonna, you know, I just, I mean, it was literally like moment by moment, day by day, a little bit more strength. Um, and then, you'd be knocked back 10 more mm. steps and then you'd step maybe a half a step forward and five more steps back. And mm. then, um, you know, I've learned definitely like through other people that have grieved, you know, loss, every loss is so different. Mm. I mean, even 
ones that seem like everybody's situations are different and there's no like rhyme or reason to recovering and um I don't know like when I look back I guess those early months you know you even though like I could barely take care of myself you know I was still trying to be there emotionally for my kids and and I think that was actually even harder than the mm. physical grief, you know, is yeah. carrying your kid's grief yeah. on your shoulders because you feel like you can't fix this. Yeah, yeah. You can't fix this. And you almost feel some sense of control over your own emotional yeah. well-being, your own journey, but yeah, like you, trying to guide your kids. And yeah. how old were they at the time? Uh, my youngest daughter was five and then my son was seven. Yeah. So, I mean, they're so very they're much old, aware. Old enough for, yeah, yeah. a very aware... Yeah. Very aware of the void that was now in their life. Yeah. And very aware of, you know, I'm not sure what kind of, mm-hmm. what kind of details they knew. I mean, they were, they were present. So yeah. they knew that something. And something that was really happened. important to me um, was talking about it. And mm. so even in the hospital, I remember uh, like my kids would kind of come in and out of the room, but I think it was, you know, like just them to see me the way I was yeah. hooked up to all these machines yeah. and, you know, I'm sure that was just unnerving to them, but they had, they have such great family. You know, mm-hmm. we have such great family and friends that really surrounded them and um, the hospital staff was really great for them. But um, there was a, a moment, remember when my son Ezra came into the room and, and I, just said to him, I said, you know, there's not a question you can't ask me. You know, mm-hmm. there's nothing that you can't ask. Like, I'd rather you ask me than start thinking things that aren't right or wrong. Yeah. Like, I want you to hear the truth from me. And um, there's a few times throughout those first few months where I would ask them to tell me their side of it and their story. Mm-hmm. And um, they would, you know, just, they, you know, and they just did. They just... Yeah. So we, I mean, we talked about everything and I think that really just helped because some of their things were off, you know, mm. things they thought or things they heard. And, um, so it just kept the communication open, yeah. which yeah. was good, but we were surrounded by such great people that they were very well yeah. taken care of. And, you know, they always say kids live in the moment. Mm-hmm. So it's, right. you know, we think of the big picture and they're just kind of living in the moments yeah. and um, they're very much loved on. And yeah. I think that really helped with their, the healing process. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's huge, you yeah. know, keeping those lines of communication open mm-hmm. like crazy yeah. and making sure that nothing clogs those lines of communication yeah. up. I think that's so good and so insightful if you're listening to this and you are trying to figure out how to walk your kids through grief or anything mm-hmm. like that. That's one of the things that we're learning in this journey too is, um, taking cues from them as they're asking questions and not mm-hmm. stuffing anything, yes. you know, demonstrating yeah. to them, walking with them going, Hey, we're going to walk this journey mm-hmm. together. We're going to yeah. wrestle through things together. Yeah. We're going to hurt and cry together. We're going to laugh together. Mm-hmm. We're going to remember together, but we're not going to stuff yeah. this stuff. And that, man, that's huge. That's really huge. Do you remember mm-hmm. any moments um, where God just kind of showed up in that grief process for you, showed up profoundly. Remember a couple of milestones where you're like, wow, that was a major, feel like feel like a breakthrough. Mm-hmm. Or maybe even think of it in terms of things that maybe God, you know, was teaching you through the through loss. Well, and I, I remember something just powerful yeah. that came out of this whole thing. Cause I mean, I just saw it through the, on the news right, and everything, right. but 
you know, Erin showed me this, that piece of paper she had in the, in the hospital cause she couldn't yeah. talk. And some of it, it didn't make any sense cause you know, but there was one thing that she was just like, when she came out of surgery, she was just adamant about trying to communicate to people. Mm. And it was the last words of her husband, John, he said, may God forgive you to the shooter before he died. That was the last thing she heard. Wow. And for her, it was so important that people knew that. And I think it just took people off guard. Yeah. It's like who, who, for, who forgives yeah. someone who's about to kill them? And I mean, John was a very strong Christian and it really brought his faith and this family's faith to the, to the forefront yeah. of this whole thing when it's such a tragic thing, but it's, it's just another example of God, you know, stepping in and saying, listen, this, you know, there's a bigger story here too right. of forgiveness and, Aaron's had a lot of people reach out to her and yeah. say that, you know, those words from John inspired forgiveness in their life. Like, hey, if he can forgive him, right. I should forgive someone who's sinned against me. And, you know, it's reconciliation and stuff like that. Wow. It was just this very uncommon element to a story like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's that's profound. That's amazing. I mean, that reminds me of, you know, like in, in Acts Stephen. when Stephen is yeah. being martyred and he mm. says that in that moment. and. Wow, what a and what a what an unbelievable memory for you to cherish mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. You know, to just as gut wrenching and devastating as that is to yeah. to be in that traumatic moment and to lose your husband mm-hmm. ex- in that way and experience that, but mm-hmm. to also like experience this this heaven touching earth moment, mm-hmm. this like kingdom defining moment, you know. You know, they say, you know, like you know, what's in a man's heart, you know, yeah. will come out, you know, in, in certain times, but um, you know, I share this a lot too. Like, you know, we, we don't know, like Steve and I were talking about this on the way here. Like he does things behind the scenes that we don't even know. He prepares us for things in ways that we don't even know until like the after and six months, I would say around six months before, like John was getting together with a couple guys. He just started this little small group and just for accountability and they would pray together. They do a little Bible study. They would eat together. And it's just him and I think two other guys, two or three. And one night he came home and he's like, Aaron, I don't know what it is, but you know, God has just put my heart to pray for you. There's going to be change in your life. And I don't know what it is, but, Mm. and he, and he made that comment a few times throughout, you know, a few months before. And, we end up changing uh, churches and he even said, he's like, I wonder if that was it or like, mm. you know, wondering what it was, and but yet it still something didn't give was him pretty, a piece like it yeah. was it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It was pretty heavy on his heart though to like yeah. bring it up a few times. And, um, and I thought about it like, you know, it was about a month after and I just remember like, oh my gosh, you know, he was praying for this. Yeah. He was praying for, mm-hmm. and, I, and that really like brought, a lot of peace to my heart mm. going, God, you have, you were here before I even, you know, yep. you were already here. Yep. And if, if you can put something like that on John's heart, to pray for me when he wasn't even going to be mm. here, you know, it just built my faith even yeah, more to right. trust in him. And, right. and I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, like, how am I, like, why did you take, him and not me. Like I like, and I'm just thinking logically, mm. like I don't have a career. Like I work at the Y 40 hours mm. a week. I can't, I can't afford to take care of these kids, you know? Yeah. And 
you know, he's, he's this or that, you know, it should have been, you know, I should have been, you know, and all these questions, like in our minds, we think is right. And we're like, why do I even like question like, what God, yeah. what God? <laughs> he's got a way bigger, <laughs> you know, he knows, you know, he knows. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it just, it reminded me of just so much, like he goes before us, he yeah. goes before us, he goes before us. And, and he took care of us, you know, yeah. I mean, he took really good care of us and provided and, amazing ways and um just I prayed for a lot of wisdom like I oh, Lord how do I raise two grieving kids mm. I don't know how to do this you know and just being honest with right. my weaknesses I had a lot of them you know I still do mm-hmm. <laughs> but um you know and yeah and then like what Steve said the last I mean the last thing I heard John say to the man that was killing him you know John was shot seven times. So mm. I think he was wrestling. I don't know if he was wrestling or I have no idea. You know, my back was turned, which I think that was God protecting me mm. and Selah and Ezra, you know, from things that we've could have seen happen. We didn't see happen, but, um, just that he, I heard him say, may God forgive you. You know, mm. I heard him and he wasn't even like super close to me yet. God oh. let me hear that. And so after I woke up and I was asking all these questions, writing them down, and and I I felt like the first thing I thought was I need, like I wanted to bring comfort to his mm. family, and I thought they need to hear what he mm. said, you know, that God so was profoundly in his heart, you mm. know, that he could say that, <laughs> he could say that, and um, and little did I know that ended up getting on the news, you know, mm-hmm. like, wow. and I found out like a year later, a police officer, and I heard this by word of mouth from another officer just said, you know, like, you know, there was a man who couldn't forgive his mother for something. And he's like, if John could forgive the guy that was killing him, I can forgive my mom. Wow. And, you know, and, and like, why, I remember thinking like, why Lord so public, you know, yeah. why does it have to be? in the news and why do I have to be exposed in this way? And, you know, everything's just, my life is now an open book. Everybody knows everything. And, but then as time went on, I began to realize, wow, like this message of forgiveness or the message, Mm. you know, his faith. And I would say Jesus was on the news, you know, like Jesus was on the news and how it's just touched people from not just, you know, America, but they say it's reached other countries and, you know, just like, all right, Lord, you know, you had a purpose in it happening this way to reach to thousands and thousands of people. I mean, it was on, so, I mean, just crazy. I remember you telling me like every, every shot that hit you, could have killed you. It was very close. Like if the one through yeah. your leg would have hit the artery yes. or through your yeah. gut. And then, I mean, even the symbolism, the, the one that hit Aaron's left hand actually was stopped by her wedding ring. It got stuck in her wedding wow. ring. And if she wouldn't have had that, it probably, you would have probably yeah. bled out. And just, you know, the thought of John stepping yeah. into that situation, protecting his family, even with that wedding ring, you wow. know, it's just like, yeah. I don't know. Wow. That's profound. Yeah. yeah. Symbolic almost. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow. Man. That's well, a, you probably know it too. I mean, there's so many details that, yep. you know, you could look back and go, wow, oh, you know, God was there for this. You know, God, you know, just seeing there's just so much, you know, and it just goes to show like, you know, he's even through 
what people say, you know, like, you know, people tell me like, you have it the worst, you know, you've mm. been through the worst and it's like, yeah, I know. No, <laughs> keep reminding me. But, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I'm like, I've been in such, you know, yeah, probably like one of the worst ways to experience death, you know, mm. almost dying myself. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like those only go to show like God's faithfulness mm-hmm. in the most, in the worst situation. That's like it. he was still there, you know, like yep. he never left me. He mm. never, he never did. And even in those days, you know, when you face the fun- yeah. the day of the funeral and they even know if they could get me there because I was just not in good condition, you know, to even ride in a vehicle, but they ended up getting me there. Like God gave me such a peace that day, you mm. know, and I was super anxious that whole week. And yet he gave me a piece that day. And, Mm. and I just remember like every time you'd hit, reach a really difficult day and God would get you through it. And I'm like, why do I ever doubt? You know, like Mm. he's always, he is always there. He's always there. So that's amazing. That's, I mean, just unbelievable. Like I think that, you know, we could talk for hours about the different details that Mm -hmm. God was in and the things he's taught you and all that stuff. But I think that, is the truth that holds the most profound weight that just mm-hmm. he's there. Yeah. He's with us. Yeah. In the Our worst of those days. moments. Yeah. Our darkest And days. um so encouraging. So encouraging. That was an incredibly powerful interview. Mm -hmm. I'm so honored that they're willing to share their story with listeners and with us. Yeah, absolutely. If God met you through that story, or if another interview has meant something to you, we would love for you to go on iTunes Mm -hmm. and rate and review. That brings us courage to keep going. And I know that the folks that are interviewed, that gives them courage as well, especially as they're being so vulnerable. Yeah, it is a vulnerable thing to just like put your story out there. You yeah, know, just to broadcast pour your in heart that kind out. of a vulnerable, yeah, mm-hmm. vulnerable space in front of thousands of people. You know, yeah. wow. Yeah, wow. I do have a review that I'd love to read. Is that okay? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. okay. Thank you so much for this podcast. Episode number eighty-two, in particular, spoke to my heart so profoundly, and it brought me to tears. It ministered to me as my husband and I are going through a challenging season in our marriage. I truly appreciate the transparency and vulnerability of the guests who are on this show, Mm. teaching the listeners how to live, learn, and lead through various painful circumstances. Thank you, Davey, and your entire crew. Wow. Well, thank you. By the way, if you're wondering what episode 82 is, that's an episode with uh, Justin and Trisha Davis. And that was part of our sexual betrayal series. And you know what's, what's interesting, Aubrey, is that series has been one of the most listened to series uh, as a whole. Mm. So all of those episodes are kind of on the top 10 of the most listened to episodes wow. of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, which tells me there's a lot of um, there's a lot of tension and hurt and betrayal going on in marriages today. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm mean, just feel prompted right now to say if you're struggling right now in your marriage and don't let your pride get in the way, um, mm. don't let... You know, don't don't think that your your situation is too far gone. I want you to go and listen to these stories of people who are explaining their brokenness, explaining how they have fallen in into some of yeah. these spaces, and yet God's done a 
powerful redemptive work, it will fill you with hope. And I believe the enemy is trying to divide yes. marriages and families. Yeah. And he's going to do whatever it takes to do that. But I believe that we have the power of of the Holy Spirit to be able to guide us into healing. And um, yeah. And, and so go listen to that episode eighty two. Um, also, you can follow us on Instagram at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. Uh, you can follow me at Davy Blackburn, and you can follow Aubrey at. Obsamp, A-U-B-S-A-M-P. We want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing the music for Love the Nothing Sleeping is Wasted Last. podcast. Yes. And uh, you can go and listen to his music anywhere music can be downloaded and streamed. And next week, we're going to continue this conversation with Stephen Aaron. It's um, it's a great... Uh, great second part of it. And this is what I love about some of these stories. You start seeing some of the redemptive mm. workings of God as you see, you know, one one partner in a marriage and they're walking through their tragedy and then you've got another partner who's walked through their tragedy and then you see how God uses those two things to weave this powerful story together. And so you're not going to miss this um, as we yeah. as we lean in and listen to, to it's them. It's awesome how God brings them together. I love mm. this. I love this part of their interview. Yeah. So that's releasing on Monday, but go ahead and listen to this clip from uh, part two of our conversation with Stephen Aaron Ulmer. I remember our last date together, just talking about, um, she actually surprised me with, uh, I think she was trying to be funny. She, she had a surprise, uh, trip to my first pedicure. <laughs> so that was, that was our, our last date together. And she, we got a good laugh out of that, but I just remember talking to her that night and just this sense of kind of optimism about, yeah. you know, what does it look like when the kids move out and some things we wanted to do? And, you know, it's like, okay, we made it this far and 13 years or, yeah. you know, how long we've, we've known each other for 20. Right. But uh, it's like we made it this far. What does this look like in 10 years? What does mm-hmm. this look like in 20 years? And uh, just, I remember having just a really good night with her. And uh, uh, five days later, she was gone. 